You're listening to episode 25 of the Business Life and Coffee Show, brought to you by Jumpstart HR. Amid the political uncertainty of an election year and ongoing market volatility, the Federal Reserve pulling interest rate increases and declining oil prices affecting growth and economic decisions large and small, how are American investors feeling these days about the economy and the stock market? Joining me to discuss this and more are Francis Donald, economic researcher for John Hancock Financial Services, and Matthew Greenwald, the president of Matthew Greenwald & Associates, a market research firm founded in 1985, which specializes in retirement and financial services issues. But before we get into the interview, I'll be bringing back a popular segment entitled The Article of the Week. So grab a cup of your favorite brew and let's get started. This week's article of the week comes from the Harvard Business Review. And the title is, Good Bosses Create More Wellness Than Wellness Plans Do. And the writer of the article is Emma Seppala. Sorry for reading that wrong, Emma, if I did. But it was published on April 8th, 2016. And it's a very interesting concept in the workforce management because, you know, I tend to agree with this, even just from the title alone. But we're going to dive into some of the topics as well. But, you know, one of the biggest aspects about wellness in the workplace is the level of stress and the quality of life that you have in the workforce. And so your boss holds the key to that. Your boss is the one who dictates your workload. Uh, Your boss is the one that manages your performance and performance expectations. And, you know, I take the personal belief that it's a manager's responsibility to eliminate the barriers, the barriers to success for their employees in the workplace. So let's dive into this a little bit. And uh, Emma says, uh, leading off, in the name of employee wellness and in response to insurance company demands, corporations are offering well-being initiatives and financial incentives. Complete this cholesterol screening, participate in a number of wellness programs, and they're really incentivized with uh, financial compensation. She says, is it any surprise that initial studies on wellness programs are showing they don't lead to any visible results? Uh, and if you're curious about that uh, that study there, there's a link that clicks to it, and it looks like it's from the populationhealthalliance.org. She says, at best, these initiatives are nothing more than lip service or PR, but at worst, they actually cause more stress. Having to jump through hoops, do cholesterol blood tests, and fill out well-being questionnaires is just one way that these programs can add yet more to-dos to an already full schedule. As one employee shared with Emma, I feel like my workplace wants me to take care of my wellness, yet pressures me with such tight deadlines that I barely have time to eat lunch at my desk. I know it would be good for me to attend, but I also feel anxious when my manager and colleagues frown at me for leaving my desk to go stretch. What's more, at the end of the day, I feel guilty because I don't care of my wellness being and attend the yoga class. Emma writes, well-being becomes not a needed break from the pressures of work, but just one more job requirement. And I've got to agree with her. You know, if we really want to take care of our employees' health and wellness, let's start with the their mental well-being. Uh, let's start with managing their performance and, and really looking at how severe the deadlines are. Because if you're burdening an employee with, with going to the doctor and getting these tests and getting these screenings, but they have such high anxiety about taking off of work, well, you know, that's causing more issue. So I really, really, really think that you should dive into this article by Emma. Again, 
Uh, it's called Good Bosses Create More Wellness Than Wellness Plans Do. And uh, let me know your thoughts on the article. Send me an email at uh, jprice at jumpstart-hr.com. Tweet me at uh, jvpsaid. And um, follow me on Instagram at uh, joeyvprice. If you're listening to this podcast, you're probably like me and want great information on the go at all times. That's why I'm offering a free Audible trial to my listeners with over 180,000 titles, ranging from personal development, business, marketing, finance, and more. You're bound to find something that will make your life better and make you better at whatever it is that you do. Visit audibletrial.com slash blc as my gift for listening to my show, and you'll receive a free 30-day trial for the largest resource of books on the go. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash blc. A direct link is in the show notes. Now, back to the show. What specifically has the John Hancock Investor Sentiment Index revealed about the first quarter of 2016? Well, the John Hancock Investor Sentiment Survey, it fell again in the first quarter of 2016. Now, that's the third consecutive decline in investor confidence. And the index is now sitting at its lowest level since the third quarter of 2013. So investors are feeling less optimistic and responses throughout the survey suggest more risk aversion than in the prior quarter. The one nit here is that Longer term, investors still appear quite bullish on the U.S. economy. 75% of respondents said the economy would be stronger two years from now. So short-term pain, but it looks like investors see long-term gain. So, Matthew, what's contributing to the overall outlook of the American sentiment on investment? Well, I think the economic volatility that and the stock market volatility specifically. This survey was conducted in February when oil was at a long-term low. There, there's been some choppiness in, in the equity markets and in some aspects of the economy. And I think that's what led people to sort of pull back in a way and think, well, this might not be a particularly good time to buy stocks. But on the other hand, interest rates are low and investors don't really particularly see another place to put their money. So I'm concerned about the stock market short term but belief in, as Francis just mentioned, in the U.S. economy long-term. So since there's belief in the economy long-term, is now a good time to buy a house? Well, the um, sentiment towards real estate and investing in your own home is the highest out of any asset class. And it looks like investors continue to have a lot of faith in real estate and, and housing. One of the reasons for that is that house prices are growing at a very stable rate. They're growing about 5 to 6%. They've been doing that for the last year. That's much more stable. It looks like a much more secure return than getting massive choppiness in your equity market. So we are seeing that investors continue to prioritize buying, selling homes, investing in real estate, and their own home. Okay. And we talked about investors' priorities in real estate, but based on your survey, are there any other priorities? Yeah. Well, the financial priorities for investors vary depending on if they're working or if they're retired. If they're working, the top financial priority is saving for retirement. If they're already retired, the top priority is just maintaining that current lifestyle. Unfortunately, both of those are made a lot more difficult by a very low interest rate environment. That could be putting some downward pressure on sentiment as well. And the expectations in two years for inflation and linked to that is interest rates are low. So people are not expecting the inflation or interest rates to jump up much in the next couple of years. Okay. And are there any other concerns that were discovered in your survey? 
Concerns? No, there are some interesting findings. There's been a doubling of investors who think gold is interesting. The emphasis on real estate as a, a popular investment is interesting from my perspective as well. And the, the third element that popped out for me when we're looking at these results is there isn't any concern about rising interest rates in this environment. That's a little bit interesting given that in December, the Federal Reserve increased interest rates for the first time in almost a decade. Doesn't seem to be weighing on investors yet, though. The John Hancock Investor Sentiment Survey also asked about some national issues, and uh, the leading concern is, is healthcare costs. Over half these investors are concerned about that, and that hasn't changed much. And also, there's concern about political gridlock and unrest in the Middle East. So we see these concerns being persistent, but in the last quarter, they haven't really changed much at all. So, Matthew, you, you spoke about healthcare costs. Can you go into a little bit more detail about? investor sentiment and why it is the way that it is now? There's been a long, long term concern about the cost of, of health care. It hasn't really changed much with the Affordable Care Act, really that much one way or the other. And uh, that probably will persist. But on the other hand, when we ask people where they should invest, where the best investments are, healthcare companies tied with technology companies as number one. So Healthcare, they might be concerned about the cost, but someone's getting that money and it also raises an investment opportunity. Right, right. Wherever there's uh wherever there's a fee, there's someone getting the it's an uh, ill wind that blows it. it's an ill wind that blows nobody some good. <laughs> right. And on the survey there is talk about the US national debt. Francis, Matthew, does anyone want to talk about how investors feel about that? I think it's part of long-term uncertainty about the political outcomes in the coming election. It's part of concern over political gridlock and um, uncertainty that persists around fiscal finances, government spending, all of these issues that take place in Washington. We're looking for clarity and the coming election should help with that to a certain extent. Okay. And another topic covered in the survey, how investors plan to spend their tax refund checks. Oh, this is my yeah. This is my favorite question in the survey. <laughs> it's very helpful at revealing what consumers are thinking about right now and what their intentions for any additional income is. So, about half of the investors were expecting a refund. Five out of ten say they they're going to save that tax refund. They're going to put it right in the bank. Three out of the ten said they were going to pay uh, down debt, and only two out of the ten actually said they were going to spend that money. And the most common place that they want to spend it vacation. Mm-hmm. I don't blame those investors at all. (laughs) Especially with the weather we've been having lately. Where can we go to learn more information about the survey? The best place to go is johnhancock.com. Not only information on the survey, but other useful information as well. Okay. And my other question, we're coming to a close here, but I wanted to know, was there any information broken down on an age demographic basis? And if so, could you share some, some opportunities and, uh, and concerns based on the age of the investor? We did look at that a bit, and then nothing really stood out as that much of a difference. Francis mentioned that retirees and workers, there are some differences there because of work status. And retirees are more con- less concerned about saving for retirement, too late for that, and more about yeah. maintaining lifestyle. But in general, the, inve- the sense of the, of the investment climate was the same across the age, age lines. Okay. Any parting thoughts that you'd like to share with our listeners today? 
Big takeaway for me is that real estate investing in your own home continues to be what investors see as the most positive, profitable form of investment over the next little while. Home prices are still growing five to six percent. This is the most stable place to put your money for now. And the other thing I'd like to add is a lot of investors think 2016 might be a bit of a choppy year, but over the long term, the U.S. economy will be stronger. Well, Francis, Matthew, it's been a pleasure having both of you. Appreciate you taking your time out to spend time with our listeners on the Business Life and Coffee Show. I appreciate your comments and uh, have a great day. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's the show. This has been another episode of Business, Life, and Coffee, the only podcast that simulates the experience of having coffee with a mentor, industry expert, or fellow colleague. If you've enjoyed this episode, give us a five-star review on iTunes, and we'll read your comment on an upcoming show. You can find show notes, episodes, and resources for your career or business at businesslifeandcoffee.com. If you have a topic that you want to learn more about, but don't have time to grab coffee with an expert, email us at info at businesslifeandcoffee.com and tune in for that topic on a future episode. Also, you can reach me at Twitter at JVPSAID. This is Joy Price signing out, and I'll see you next week. If you've recently started a business, why take away time from what you're good at, only to focus on difficult, pesky HR problems? Jumpstart HR LLC offers a better solution. Jumpstart HR provides HR outsourcing support to U.S.-based small businesses and startups and was recently ranked among the top 10 HR outsourcing firms in the country, according to businessnewsdaily.com. From recruitment to employee handbooks to legal compliance, Jumpstart HR helps you get peace of mind about the people in your business. Visit jumpstart-hr.com for more information or follow on Twitter at Jumpstart HR. Jumpstart HR, let's build a better business together.